All right. Well, good morning, everyone. We've got a few people missing today. So what, uh, what I plan to do today is um, just review chapter 11. And we didn't touch too much on the very last paragraph, but it's very short. So I'm going to save adoption for next time. And then we'll just review all of justification and any question and answers uh, we can go from there. So. So let's look at chapter 11. Before, let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for this study we've been able to to set apart for the doctrine of justification, a crucial doctrine on which the church stands or falls. And so, Lord, we pray as we go through the confession, we can see what we believe as a church to better understand that, to see the guardrails for how we can avoid falling off uh, different sides of errors that many people do make in these. And so, Lord, we pray that you can help us to see and discern these things and to grow in our appreciation for the great uh, salvation we have in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Okay, so let's. Uh, I want to read and then we'll review. We'll go through a few passages and go through question and answers um, if we have time here at the end. So, justification. We've been talking about that this is the doctrine that God uh, declares us righteous in his sight uh, based on the work of Christ alone. So in justification, uh, what we have here is how are we, how do we make it into heaven? This is the crucial question. This is what Paul has deals with in his epistles. How are we to stand before God and he allows us into heaven? Is it because of anything we do or is it fully on the work of Christ? And justification, how we understand it, it means a legal declaration. It's, it's the judge who makes the verdict at the end and says righteous. So it's the opposite of condemnation. It's the opposite of being declared guilty. Okay, And so this is, this is huge that we get this right. Um, and so the doctrine of justification, uh, God legally declares he declares us righteous, and we should wrestle with how, how is that so if we know in and of ourselves we're not. We're not intrinsically righteous. And so uh, this is important. Uh, as Luther says, this is a doctrine in which the church stands or falls. Owen, justification is the first principle of the Reformation. So to, to lose this is really to lose or go back on the Reformation, go back to Catholicism. Uh, Sproul says if we lose it, we lose Christianity. If you don't have the doctrine of justification by faith alone, you don't have the gospel. So this is crucial. Um, if we want to maintain the purity of the gospel, we need to get this doctrine right. So paragraph one is dealing with what exactly is, is it summed up? If we're to sum up the doctrine of justification in one paragraph, paragraph one does that for us. But then the following paragraphs uh, continue to uh, elaborate more on those things. And this, these are helpful because this is how we as Reformed have been able to uh, define our terms. There's often language that is used within uh, other people who are trying to say they're Orthodox, but they use different language or they redefine terms. So here our confession is very particular. What do our terms mean? It defines them and it's very straightforward. So if you have your confession, uh, open up to uh, chapter 26. If you don't have one, um, if you look at the pew hymnal, and in the very back, if someone wants to tell me what page that is, 
we have, it should be also chapter 11. The Pew Hymnal, we see the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 11, justification. Now, last week I went through Westminster and 1689 and showed pretty much word for word with the exception of a few small phrases, uh, it's word for word in agreement. So you can read Westminster and see that it pretty much follows exactly what the 1689 Baptists hold to. And those little brief, brief phrases or, or sentences that we see that the Baptists added, they've actually just took it from the Savoy Declaration, who were uh, the Congregationalists of the day, like John Owen, and added it into the Confession. So the Reform, this is what we agreed on. Uh, we see this within those uh, Reform Confessions. So let's look at paragraph one. It says, those whom God effectually calls, he also freely justifies, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and soul righteousness, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. Okay, so here we see that God who he effectually calls, right? We talked that last time uh, in chapter 10, the effectual call is, is like to regeneration. God is gonna call you. He's going to make you alive to answer that call. And so if you've been elected before the foundation of the world, in due time, he will call you. He will draw you to himself. And if you are called, you will be justified. Everyone who is effectually calls, he will freely justify. Also notice it's God's work. God calls, God justifies. This is not something we can earn. This is not something we do. It's all God's work. He does this for us. He is the one who declares us righteous. Um, Romans 8 talks about this. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. But even though we're, we're sinners, we're justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, and so we see this continued in three denials and three affirmations, right? And this is really in contradiction to the Roman Catholic Church here. So notice it says, not by infusing righteousness into them. So here we see justification is not by infusion. It's not by mixing. Uh, so you have two different substances. You have, uh, we gave the example of milk and Ovaltine. You pour it together and you create one new thing, chocolate milk, right? And so that's kind of the idea here is you have milk and then you have the Ovaltine you pour it in. So how this would relate to infusion for faith, we could say, okay, well, God saves you by grace, but you also need to you, you have yourself here and God is going to pour a little bit of grace in you. And as he pours that grace in you, it's, it's going to produce in you a, a true righteousness. And it's based on your righteousness then that you're declared righteous. Okay. So in other words, they're saying, the Catholics would say, if you just say they're declared righteous, even though they're not, that's a legal fiction. That God has to actually make you righteous if he's going to justify you. Um, and it's based on that righteousness that you are justified. And the Reformed are very particular. It's not by infusing righteousness. Now, God does make us righteous, right? But does it, does it have anything to do with justification? No, that's sanctification. Right? Justification is who we are in Christ. It's, it's the legal declaration of who we are. We're accepted because of what Christ has done. 
The righteousness that's produced in us, in other words, fruit, right? We're all called to obey. We're going to see that in the sermon. That has no basis on our justification whatsoever. Um, but the Catholics, they want to say, yeah, actually, uh, you have to do that or you have a legal fiction. And so here what we see is the Reformed are very particular. It's not by infusion, but by pardoning their sins and accounting and accepting their person as righteous. So it's, it's God who declares us. He pardons our sins. Well, how does that happen? Well, the mediation of Christ. He dies for our sins on the cross. He also, we see last time, um, we'll see here in a little bit, by his active and passive obedience, that's how we're considered righteous. Okay? It's not because he's infusing righteousness in us. It's not grace and cooperation with grace. It is actually, he is declaring us righteous. He's, he's accepting us, our persons as righteous, even though intrinsically we're still sinners. Right? So Luther gave the illustration. It's kind of like you have this, this pile of manure, right? That's, that's you. And you have the robe of Christ's righteousness, which is like snow that covers it, right? The manure didn't change in substance merely because, you know, you had a mixture of, of the snow. No, it's, it's a covering. And that covering, we see the righteousness of Christ. It's the robes of his righteousness that covers us, that God then says righteous based on what he has done, even though we're still sinners, right? And so what that then does in us is that that's from regeneration. We're justified because we have faith. And then from that, what happens is then you grow. Then what you're doing is you're actually going to start producing fruit. You're going to have good works. You're going to start being sanctified, right? We don't want to blur the distinctions between sanctification and justification. That's where all the errors come in. Okay, so it's not denying we don't do good things. It's not denying we do righteousness. This just has no basis for our justification. So when you stand before the throne room of heaven and God says, on what basis should I accept you? If you say, well, I think I'm a good person, that's no basis because the standard's absolute perfection. If you say, well, Christ died for my sins and I'm also, you know, did these good things, that again has no basis. It's fully what Christ has done. It's his blood, his righteousness. Nothing in my hand I, I, I bring simply to the cross I cling, right? And so not by, account, not by infusion, but by accounting and accepting. Not for anything wrought in them. Okay, so this is, again, if you go back to uh, the Catholic doctrine, this is using language. God, this is kind of like God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that before? Saying, okay, well, if you really want to be justified, God will help you, but you have to help yourself too. Um, that isn't really Christian at all. Um, and so not by anything you working in you. God gives you a little bit of grace to do what it is, is within you. No, that has no basis for your justification, notice, um, but for Christ's sake alone. Not for anything done wrought in them or by them, but for Christ. Because he did it all. It's his righteousness. It's his uh, payment for our sins. And if you're united to Christ by faith, then he sees you as if Christ is, as if you perfectly kept the law. As if you have never sinned because Christ was your substitute. Romans 5, he is your federal representative. Again, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them. Okay, so what, do you, what does he mean, evangelical obedience? Y'all remember that? What is evangelical obedience? 
So think of what does evangelical mean? Yeah, yeah. So like gospel obedience. So obedience that's produced by the gospel. So we have obedience that's law, do this and live, right? We can call that legal obedience or moral obedience. But then you have gospel or evangelical obedience. That is obedience that is done within us because we've been made alive, because we have true faith, because the Spirit's working in us, right? Because God plants us in the streams, what is the tree supposed to do? Produce good fruit, right? It's not doing good fruit to earn salvation. It's doing good fruit uh, because that is what we're called to do, right? He created us for what? Good works, right? So good works is evangelical obedience, It's the obedience we do in light of us being saved. So uh, evangelical obedience is fruit, we can just say. Okay, so here, again, the Reformed are very particular. It's not because of any kind of evangelical obedience you do. Justification doesn't happen because you were obedient. Justification doesn't happen because you were faithful. It happens because Christ was faithful. You have to just place your faith in him. Um, it's, he doesn't impute faith itself. Faith is a gift. Um, the act of believing is not on the basis of why we're justified. It's not because we're doing fruit, but the basis for justification, the reason God can say righteous, notice it says by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and his passive obedience for his death. And then it defines what faith is, receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith. Again, this faith, faith is a requirement, right? You have to be united to Christ by faith. It's not in of themselves, it's a gift of God. So he gives all these things. So the basis by which we're justified is fully on the work of Christ, his righteousness and his uh, sacrifice for us. Even if it's 99% Christ and 1% us, that's not true justification. That's not the basis by which we're justified. If, if, if you claim that, if you're thinking, well, I just did what was in with myself, um, grace in cooperation with grace, uh, then you have distorted the gospel. So faith is completely resting and receiving Christ and his righteousness and his perfect sacrifice for us. Okay? Uh, so we see, we see that in Ephesians 1. Right? In him we have redemption, bought through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Um, we also see that um, in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Um, Paul, who was one who could, if, if you could earn salvation by your kind of evangelical obedience or your righteousness, Paul could have been one who claimed it. But what did he say? I cannot count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, he could go to the Jewish Pharisees and said, oh yeah, you, you claim your righteous deeds because you did all these. Consider what I did. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day. I, you know, did all these things He's like, yeah, I count it rubbish because none of that has any role in my salvation when it comes to justification. My acceptance before God is based on Christ's work fully. 
For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay, Um, John Murray said this, if justification is confused with generation or sanctification, then the doors are open to the perversion of the gospel. Okay, so we don't want to confuse these things. Um, Paragraph two, the instrument of justification, or, or we can say the tool. Faith thrust receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. Yet it is not in a person... Not, it, is, it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces and is no dead faith, but works by love. Okay? So here, the Reformed are very particular, and this is really what the Protestant Reformation was founded on, is because Catholics believe that we are justified by faith. It's just not faith alone. They believe we're justified by faith and your obedience and your faithfulness and you in cooperation with grace, right? Penance, all these different things that they do. Um, so grace in cooperation with grace. He who does not, in, the, the saying was, he who does what, what is within himself, God will not withhold his grace, okay? And so that is to say, um, the, here they're saying, look, the only way in which God gives us his grace is by faith, faith alone. Notice faith thrust receiving and resting. So what is faith? Faith is receiving and resting. Faith is not faithfulness. Faithfulness is obedience. Faithfulness, yes, we're called to be faithful, of course. But that's fruit. That's not faith. So let's not confuse those two. Faith is receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. Instrument is, we can think of the vehicle by which we receive it. Um, faith is that empty hand that just receives. Faith is understanding and believing and trusting, right? It's, it's not merely just having this knowledge about what Christ has done. It's understanding that, yes, the facts, but then believing and trusting it with your whole heart. That's what faith is. And faith is something that God gives us. It's receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness alone. It's the only instrument. It's not just one of an instrument, one of the, like a different instrument. So it's not faith in our works. It's not faith in our faithfulness. It's faith alone. Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Right. Alone is implied here. And you, you just see how Paul goes through his argument in Romans. Paul is dealing with how do we know we are accepted before God? How are we made right with God? Right, And he'll go, no one's justified because of their obedience to the law. Uh, yes, God demands absolute perfection. But the problem is we're sinners. We, there's no way we can do it. And so faith alone is the only instrument. The way in which God can say, I am going to pardon the guilty is because if the guilty are represented by Christ. And that's why in Romans 3, he can say he is the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. It's through faith that we receive justification. It's through faith that we're united to Christ. And the word alone is what distinguishes us from Rome. 
There's no mixture of works included here. So then they also added, because uh, if we hammer this so much, right, we're going to say the accusation, you know, they accuse Paul of this too, but the accusation would be, well, if you just preach free grace, that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone, then people are going to do whatever they want. And so the motivation is, okay, well, how can we get people to obey? But we should not be thinking that in light of justification. We, in light of justification, uh, it says here, look, faith is not alone. In other words, there's all the other saving graces that are accompanied by it. Uh, it's not alone in the person justified. But the person who is justified is justified by faith alone. So there's other things that happen. You ha- it's not you just have faith and then, okay, go live however you want. It's not have faith in Jesus and be receive forgiveness and his righteousness and then live like the world. No. You're called to obey. You're called to produce good fruit, right? We're, 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 we're saved, created for good works. And so this is why it says faith is never alone, right? So this is what James is going to hit on is if you claim you have faith, but you don't show it in your deeds, then the test of your faith doesn't seem like it passed the test. Right? James is not writing to say, here's how we know you have, uh, how you can be made right with God. He's saying, because you claim to be right with God, let's see if it's real. Okay, so we're going to see that more today in the sermon. But uh, all the other saving graces are accompanied. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Right? This is what true living faith is. Faith is living faith is resting and receiving. Living faith does have fruit. Living faith is faithful, but those have no basis for your justification. But when you're justified by faith alone, those will follow. We'll see that. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit, right? And so that's how we understand. Um, all other saving graces, we can understand this in sanctification, right? We have been saved from the consequence of sin. We have been justified, but like we said, there's still a present reality. We're being saved from the power of sin in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're to put sin to death. And then we will be saved. We will be saved from the presence of sin altogether when Christ comes and we receive glorification. But justification is not sanctification. So let's not confuse it. Though sanctification is a fruit of justification, sanctification will follow. If you're truly justified, you will be sanctified. But you're not justified because you're sanctified. Any questions on one and two? Yeah. 
right. I guess I appreciate how far the reform map is to go and what you're expounding on it. Or any other evangelical people under the whole law is our tendency and all of us is I accept the Christ. I Yeah, it's all his work, and and uh, he gives us the ability to, you know, have our eyes open to behold those things. Yeah. All right, we gotta go turbo speed. Um, paragraph three. This is dealing with justice and grace. Um, so how then can God declare us righteous if we're not? Is he just like that, uh, you know, nice little grandpa who uh, sees the grandson uh, do a sin and he's like, hey, we'll just not tell dad about this. Is, is, you know, sweep the sin under the carpet. We will, we'll just pretend this never happened. No, uh, God is a good judge and he must punish sin. If he didn't punish sin, he would be unjust, right? A crime was committed. And being the judge of the universe, he must punish sin. And that is a very good and loving thing to do. And if he didn't do it, he would be a corrupt judge. So paragraph three deals with how God can show grace, yet also show his justice. Notice it's by Christ. Christ, by his obedience and death, did fully discharge the debt of all those who are justified. And did, by the sacrifice of himself and the blood of his cross, undergoing in their stead the penalty due them, make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to God's justice in their behalf, yet inasmuch as he was given by the Father for them and his obedience and sanctification accepted in their stead, and both freely, not for anything in them, again, hammering that, their justification is only a free grace that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. So real quick, Full payment for sin has been paid. Paid in full, right? He did this by his perfect life and death. He discharged the debt. So you, when you sin, you have this great debt that you could never pay on your own. You'd have to pay for all eternity in hell because the wage of sin is death. But Jesus came as a sinless, spotless lamb. He bore your debt upon his shoulders. And in the time of the cross, being the God person, the God man, uh, he actually was able to atone for our sins, not just for ours personally, but everyone who would ever have faith in him. He did that. Notice it says this was a real, uh, proper, full satisfaction of God's justice. So God's wrath is poured out on sin and Christ was called to drink the cup of God's wrath and he did it and drank the very last drop. So what does that mean? There's no more wrath for you. It's been fully paid. You don't have to fear, oh man, am I going to lose my salvation based on, on what I do? No, if you've been justified, you're, you're going to be glorified. If you've been fully justified, uh, Christ has achieved it. And this is why God would say, I do not change. That's why you're not consumed, right? If, if, you, if you sinned, it's not like God's going to be like, okay, well, Jesus paid for that, but now you sin, so now I'm going to have to punish you, 
or, or now I'm going to have to pour my wrath on you. Now, God might show chastisement, fatherly chastisement, but you're still in the family, right? And so full justice is paid because the father accepts Christ's work on the believer's behalf. The father then is going to give Christ our debt and Christ pays for it in full. How does it happen? By the blood of his cross, right? The wages of sin is death. Life is in the blood, it says. So if life is to be taken, blood has to be shed, right? We have the picture of the whole Old Testament and sacrifices that the shedding of blood is necessary for the forgiveness of sins. Well, Jesus, our spotless lamb, sheds his blood for us. And so from this, uh, by his obedience and satisfaction, uh, it was fully accepted. How do we know? Because he was raised from the dead. It was the climax point that shows it is finished. It's been fully done. Justification uh, for all who have faith in Jesus uh, has been accomplished. Notice, again, Christ accomplished it. They want to hit again. It's not because of anything in you. It's not because God looked down the corridors of time and said, oh, well, this guy would be great on my team. I should really die for him. No, it's because of his own grace and love that he chose us. Um, this was an exact justice. So God can be glorified as the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him for our sake to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation means that which appeases the wrath of God, right? And God's wrath was fully satisfied because of the work of Christ. And so that should give us great assurance. That should give us great confidence that if you have been justified, you're secure. There's nothing you can do to lose it. Um, so that plays a role then um, in, notice again, the result of God's justice is shown. And so he gets the glory. God might be glorified. So our receiving of justification is then meant to glorify God. We're meant to, out of love and thankfulness, give him the glory. And that's where our evangelical obedience comes in. It's not to merit anything. It's not to be justified. It's to show our love and gratitude. Timing of justification, uh, paragraph four. God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect, and in Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins, rise again for their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified personally until the Holy Spirit does in due time apply Christ to them. So this is dealing with the timing of justification. When exactly does this happen? There was a heresy back in the early church, um, not early church, but during the Reformation, that held to a justification from eternity. And they would actually hold to this view that said, well, because God decreed, because God is elected before the foundations of the world, and if we're elect, then we've already been justified. Therefore, it doesn't even matter if we believe because God is already, it doesn't matter how we live because God has justified us already. So this is like a form of hyper-Calvinism, uh, having this idea of you know, God's sovereignty and his decree. Now, this is digging into the mind of the Lord, and that's something we're not called to do. Um, 
Now we know if God elects you, he will justify you. But justification happens, if we read the scriptures clearly, the timing of justification happens the moment we have faith, right? God did from all eternity elect, uh, decree to justify, right? He decreed to do that, but there had to be a specific time and moment in your life when you actually believed. And when that happens, the only way you can be justified is if you're united to Christ by faith, and that's the only way God can say you're declared righteous. If you're not united to Christ by faith, before that, God can't call you righteous. He can't say justified because Christ's work hasn't been applied to you yet. So the, the Baptists and all the Reformed are saying it had to happen in time and space. It had to be accomplished, and it's different for each of us. Uh, Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins. right? So it's recounting. Here's what Christ did. He died for our sins. He rose for our justification. Nevertheless, they're not justified personally until the Holy Spirit and doth time actually apply Christ to them. So God has to apply it in time and space. And how, does faith, how, do we, how are we justified? Well, by grace, through faith. So we have to have faith. So it means we, still have, we have to be regenerated before we can be justified. So there's a logical progression that happens in this. This is what we call the ordo salutis, the order of salvation. Right? And so you, to really counter this kind of understanding, just go back and look at a lot of the New Testament that describes who we were before Christ. Colossians 1, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, have now been reconciled in his body of flesh by the death in order to present you holy and blameless. So we are not, uh, the elect sinner is not freed from condemnation until he's been united to Christ and only then can he be justified. This helps us to avoid presumptive regeneration. So just because you're born into a believing family doesn't mean you're going to receive regeneration automatically. You have to believe for yourself. It has to happen in time and space. Um, Notice it in Romans 5, what does it call us? We were enemies. We were enemies reconciled to God by his death. Sam? Right. And so when they come, how do we as Baptists understand that? When they come to a knowledge of faith, when they can articulate it, then, yeah, okay, there's the evidence. And then we go to their parents, right, and say, do you see this in their life? We're not just going to baptize you just because you want to be baptized. Like, do, you, do we see this fruit, right? It's, a, it's 
we're called to look at the fruit. Um, and so, yes, being born in a believing family is definitely a, a grace. It's a gift that we, it's a privilege, but it does not in any way uh, just presumptively assume you're saved. So if you can grow up and, and affirm these things and grow in, in the understanding of those things, yeah. Like, I don't have a moment when I was saved. It was, it was either sometime when I was 11 or down the road at like 18. So I don't know, but I can see the fruit. And that gives me confidence. That gives me the uh, ability to understand and be like, okay, well, I see God's saving work in my life. And I think anyone who claims faith should be able to see those things. You don't need to have, okay, this is the date I was saved. But if, that ha- if you do see the fruit, then we know that's happened. Right? You know, you don't have to have a date and, you know, this is my spiritual birthday. This is my, you know, real birthday. Um, you don't need that. Because if, if you don't know it, that's okay. But if you see God's uh, saving grace in your life based on the fruit, again, the fruit, not things, good deeds you do to deserve it, um, then we can have assurance that way. As far as timing of justification, when does justification happen in a believer's life? And when is that? Right. Yeah. At the moment of regeneration, when we believe. When, but we have to have faith. And so it happens on the onset or the beginning of when they believe, right? So this has, you know, we have a thing out there where we hear teaching of future justification, final justification, uh, and that's foreign to Scripture, right? There's only justification, and that's it. Um, and so these are those who want to hold to this justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone initially, but then you have to maintain it. You got to stay in the covenant. You got to uh, continually to obey, and and then in the end, you'll be finally justified. In other words, in the end, we're bringing in works. Uh, and so timing, this is crucial that we understand. It's the beginning of our salvation. There's no final justification and initial justification. There's just justification. So we're going to get into this when we get into to James 2. We're going to see this a lot more clearly. Um, and so there's no mixture of faith and works whatsoever when we come to justification. And, and we can see where the motivation for people who want to teach this, well, we need believers to obey. We want believers to honor the Lord. Okay, well, that comes by sharing the gospel, the good news, reminding them who they are, what Christ has done. And then out of love and gratitude, you obey. Right? That's what we'll see today too. Okay, let me blast through these last two. Justification and remaining sin. So we are justified, yet we still have the flesh in us and we still struggle with remaining sin. So God continues to forgive sins of those that are justified, even though they can never fall from a state of justification. They may fall under God's fatherly displeasure because of their sins. In that condition, they will not usually have the light of his face restored to them until they humbly themselves confess their sins plead for pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. So here is to say, um, even though we're justified, we will still sin. How then do we deal with those sins? Well, a true believer who is truly justified will bear fruit of repentance. Uh, They will bear fruit of repentance. Now, there might be a time or a season where a believer is in a continual state of disobedience, a prolonged state. We think of David, right? David was in a, he lasted a year 
of after committing adul adultery and murder bef before he repented. And we can say, did God, did David lose his salvation? Did God kick him out of the family? No, he was truly justified, just like we were. He wasn't justified by his deeds. He was justified by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. And he, undergo, he underwent the fatherly displeasure, chastising, discipline, right? And he writes in the Psalms, oh, it's, it's like my inward uh, juice is just dried up within me. Like I was so miserable, but then I confessed my sin. Then the joy of my salvation was restored, right? And so the fruit of true conversion is going to bring about repentance, and so it's, you know, Jesus even tells us this. When you pray, how do you pray? Our Father who art in heaven, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? Forgive us our sins, but address them as your Father. You haven't lost your salvation just because you sinned. Um, you're to continually uh, repent. And God when, when, when we, he does draw us to repentance, when we do humble ourselves, confess our sins, plead for pardon, he will renew our faith and repentance. He'll, he'll restore us. And so like a good father disciplines a son when he's wayward, God will do with believers too. But the whole purpose of that is to lead them in the way that they should go. And the way that they should go is obeying the law as a way of, a way of life for the believer not for justification, but because you're justified, you should repent. You should go ahead and understand, look, Christ has fully paid for your sins. So you have forgiveness, but we're still called to repent, confess. Okay, and lastly, let's look at paragraph six. The justification of believers under the Old Testament was in these respects, one and the same with the justification of believers under the New Testament. So this is the way we're justified, the way we're made right with God has been the same from beginning to end. In the Old Testament, it was by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But it was as they did this through types and shadows, right, that pointed forward to what Christ would do, right? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, justified. Uh, he believed in the promises, right? We, on the other end of the cross, we know the promises that have been given and that have been fulfilled in Jesus. And we look back and we can understand all that the prophets wrote about have been fulfilled in Jesus. And we can understand this is what Christ has done for the forgiveness of sins. We can place our faith in that. Well, the Old Testament saints didn't have the full picture like we did. They had promises. They had types and shadows. And so as they exercised faith through what was given at the time, those who had true faith looked to the promises and ultimately, we're looking to Christ. Um, and so in, 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 uh, we see later on in Genesis, uh, we see Abraham offer a sacrifice of Isaac, right? And that's where he offers his faith, or that's where he, he shows his faith to be genuine. He bears fruit, right? And so Jesus would say, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced it and was glad. Well, when did Abraham see that? Well, he saw it through the type of the sacrifice. He saw it through the ram that was offered in behalf of Isaac. It was a picture. It was a type that was pointing, this is what Christ would do for the forgiveness of sins so you don't have to face the consequence of sin yourself. And as they looked to those types and shadows, they were credited with righteousness. So there's not two ways of salvation. It's not works for Old Testament saints, faith for New Testament saints. It's all grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. 
But true faith, true justification will be accompanied by good works. And we'll see that as we continue in James. So any questions or comments? Ellie? So it was a picture. And so based on that, it was a picture saying this is what needs to happen. But the book of Hebrews tells us that that was something that had to be repeated over and over and over again. So it didn't really cleanse them from their sin. They still had guilt. But it was kind of like our repentance, right? When we sin, we repent and confess. And so that was a picture. Every time they sinned and confessed, they had to give a sacrifice to show payment has to be done for this if we're going to receive forgiveness. It was a picture that Blood needs to be shed, but Hebrews would say the blood of bulls and goats will never take away sin. It's, a, it's that Christ actually takes away sin. So Peter would actually say that God passed over these former sins, right? And he poured them all on Christ. So all the Old Testament saints, their sins, uh, they were exercising faith through those sacrifices, but Christ is the one who paid for their sins. And that's where atonement was done. So God was, we can say, having patience with them, and going to pour it fully on Christ. You have a question too? Anyone else? Okay, well, good good job, guys. We got through it. Sorry if that was a little rushed. Um, we'll pick up chapter 12 next time. So let's pray, and we'll get ready for worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. We thank you for Christ and his finished work for us. We thank you, Lord, that we do have justification not because of anything done in us or by us, but for Christ's sake alone. We thank you that he's fully accomplished it, that he drank the cup of your wrath, and that he fully obeyed the law so we can enjoy righteousness, and that you accept us based on his work. So Lord, help us to see the great privilege it is to come to you. Help us to see what, who we are in Christ, that we're part of the family, that our eternity has been secured in him, Now help us out of love and gratitude to bear evangelical obedience for your glory. We pray in Christ.